Right, folks. Um, welcome back to the Across the Pond MMA podcast. Maybe uh, a surprise to some that we're having a second episode. We're not a, a one-hit wonder. Um, <laughs> we have, uh, this is our first episode since our move to Spotify. Um, Billy, what do you think of the new, the new deal? Yeah, well, I think it's uh, really helps us bring in these guests like Conor McGregor, who we've got lined up for next week's episode. Um, I think we said Dustin Poirier a couple weeks out. So I think the Spotify deal really helped us lock in these premier guests. Obviously, the content was always there, but it's now the funding is there as well. So I think it's a step in the right direction for us. Absolutely. It'll just uh, just elevate uh, our platform, uh, definitely. Right. The only way is right. up. Um, so just what we were talking about briefly before we started recording was our first episode was the breakdown of McGregor Poirier 2 and I thought it would be a great idea if we could continue our streak that streak being one of one of um, pay-per-view main events for the calendar year so we may be two weeks behind and we can blame the busiest man in not just Atlanta but the entire state of Georgia for that um, <laughs> we haven't spoken in like three weeks <laughs> right um, we are two weeks behind Usman Burns, uh, welterweight championship fight. Um, so, Billy, I'll, I'll, I'll start with you. Um, as my co-host, I'm my only co-host. Um, any initial thoughts when you watch this? I know, I know you didn't. You said you didn't watch it that intently, but um, anything that that sprung to mind for you? Yeah, uh, obviously, I think the first, you know, what was it? Two minutes where Burns came out swinging like a madman and uh, landed some good shots. I thought Usman was in some big trouble there. And one thing I think technically that I thought like originally that ties into is we saw quotes from like DC and a lot of the times it's true. Like in any like athletics, when you train with a guy, you know, like DC said it, you know, and like someone knows. And so then when we're two minutes in and Gilbert's dropped Usman and looking to have all the success, I'm like, Oh, so that's why he wanted this matchup so bad. Like he knows that he got the better of him in training. So that opened my eyes. I was really interested in that. And then as it goes on, and I think this is something you wanted to segue into, you saw what even if uh, Gilbert used to get the better of him in training, we saw the Kamaru Usman who works with Trevor Whitman. And it's a calculated, scary, scary human being. I think that just reminded everyone, you know, we talk a lot about recency bias. Um, you know, every coach that coaches – someone that puts on a clinic and a championship performance is the best coach in the world. But um, that really sort of put a, an exclamation point on the, um, you know, the caliber of um, fighter that, you know, the uh, elevation fight team isn't it producing in Denver. Um, so, yeah, in terms of the beginning, so I did break this down. So what I thought initially was in the first 30 seconds particularly, you know, Burns, he gives Usman an awful lot to think about. You know, he just, he storms right across the cage. Just no respect was the main thing that I sort of thought of. He just completely sort of cut off the distance and he loads up a lot. Um, so I've written, I've written down here, storms across the cage, loads up on a right hand, just out of range. And then he faked a few kicks and um, eventually, and then, the main sequence then is the the one that drops him. I was actually, while you were speaking, I was trying to pull up the UFC to see if that was a knockdown or not. Was it scored? I'm not 100% sure. I think it has to be. It was definitely, it was definitely gloves on canvas. So we'll take it that it was a knockdown. Um, and as you said, um, I think that came from training. And I think that's something that Burns 
did speak about in his post-fight interview that he had this read on him, this sort of this right hook that he could land. And um, I remember watching it that maybe this was something that Burns thought, you know, if I just storm across the cage, maybe they spar with 10 ounce gloves. If I storm across the cage with four ounce gloves on, I mean, I'll just, I'll just take him out of there straight away. And I don't know, maybe that was something that he thought of. Um, in terms of the sequence itself, um, you know, what I noticed early that uh, Kamara Usman was doing was he was sort of, and, you know, the person that came into my head was Dom Cruz in terms of, he had this sort of pattern where he would sort of move in and out and then take a split second and reset. And that is something that, you know, like Cruz does quite a lot where he sort of dances out, comes back in, sort of bobs side to side. Um, Usman wasn't maybe as quite as extreme as that. And then as soon as Usman resets at the end of that sort of in and out sequence, he gets caught quite flat footed. And what I thought was Burns was, um, was able to sort of spot the sequence. He got a read on it and then, when he got him, so they were circling back and forth for a while. When he got him square, saw him do this sequence. The second time he did it in a row is when he exploded, and that's the shot that, that caught him. Um, and in terms of the shot itself, it was an interesting... If you if you can recall, he gets caught almost completely square before um, as Burns is sort of reading the sequence. Then he moves his lead leg up slightly, fakes a kick. Then he uses, when he brings the foot down, he brings it and gets side on again. So he was completely squared, nice side on, which allows him to just explode forward. He jumps um, both legs forward, bounces in, explodes right hand. And, um, you know, it was nearly, I, I don't know, how, how hurt do you think Usman was? You know, I think... If you if we go back to the Colby fight of which you were in attendance, um, which still doesn't sit well with me <laughs> because of because of how good the fight was, um, you know, Usman really does take a shot well. You know, do you think you know he was in real trouble there? You know, obviously it maybe stunned him, and but do you think he was you know hurt by that one? I think it was more of a loss of balance. It looked like it clipped him. Like if I remember right, a little bit behind the ear, which no, no harm on that one, but I think it was more of a loss of balance when you get hit there. It's kind of hard to keep your feet. It wasn't like he got back up and like maybe your days a little bit from taking that shot, but I didn't think he was compromised. Like I didn't think he was going to be put out right following that sequence. I thought, like I said, loss of balance. And then from there he'd have time to get his wits about him. I thought he'd shoot for a takedown, but I think, that's what you said, how Gilbert just charged across the cage. I think that's the deeper meaning behind it. I think it wasn't just, oh, I'm it's on the feet. I know I have the better of tomorrow. I have the power. I think it wasn't that. I think it was the lack of being scared of the grappling exchange with tomorrow. Cause usually you have to come at Usman very calculated, but when Burns runs across the cage of that, I didn't see that as him saying, I know this right hand's going to land. I saw that him saying, go ahead, shoot. I'll get in. I'll get in your range. I'm not scared of your grappling. I'm not scared of your takedown. Mm. Yeah. I remember when I was watching it, I couldn't decide whether the issue was the sort of the difference in the caliber of the two fighters or whether it was just merely a game planning issue um, where you could just, even though, you know, he lands that shot and he wobbles Usman or he hurts him or whatever we think, um, just, you know, Usman, I've written down here, Usman threw one strike in the first 32 seconds of the fight when Burns is sort of walking him down, trying to land um, with his chin quite up in the air. And I just thought in terms of, you know, Usman's been there before. He knew that that was 25 minutes. 
Um, obviously Burns knew that was 25 minutes as well but you know it was one of those things where I just felt even watching it early on when Burns was getting um, the better of the exchanges and sort of pushing the pace I just felt Usman just looked more ready for a championship fight as you would expect um, for a champion um, so the, the story of the fight then was the the Usman jab I feel like he landed it a little bit towards the end of round one then we get into the corner and Trevor Whitman says you're a champion because of your jab. And um, I don't know, from there, that was sort of the turning point that sort of flicked the switch. And um, Usman was sort of almost landing it at will sort of from that point onwards until the, the finish midway into round three. I think the rest of the fight can be, can be summarized um, quite quickly, whereas Burns was pushing an almighty pace early on. And I don't care who you are. Well, perhaps maybe Tony Ferguson is the exception, but Max Holloway. <laughs> Max, yeah, Max Holloway actually is a good example. But um, you just you cannot push that pace. The average fighter, not saying he's an average fighter, but like you know, you just cannot push that kind of crazy pace, just swarming him for twenty five minutes. I just I didn't think that was that was ever going to serve him well, considering how tough Usman is. Right. You know, he wasn't going to get him out of there. Um, one thing I wanted to say to you was I, I know we, we talk about um, calf kicks a lot uh, on this podcast um, so one thing they mentioned on the broadcast was Usman and his career he never really kicked a whole lot then we moved to Colorado he trains with one of the most proficient calf kickers in the sport um, what do you think in terms of is there a man at welterweight that can beat a Camaro Usman that jabs as well as he does wrestles as well as he does and now calf kicks well so i think i think right there you put it together well is because the thing is and i see him get usman get hate for this because he's not a specialist necessarily i didn't think like there's probably someone like maybe hamza is a better grappler than her there's probably someone in the that welterweight division that can out grapple him maybe maybe not he's not a khabib he's not that's his only way of winning that's his primary way of winning and now you're starting to see the evolution. And honestly, I think what this fight did for me is open my eyes to, okay, wow, this guy could be here for a while. This guy could be great because this was a matchup. That was a troubling matchup. He knew the person he didn't, it wasn't a matchup. You want to get the guy on the floor. Like, like Burns said, leading up to the fight, Usman knows I can submit him. So it wasn't a matchup where he's going to just be able to impose his will, take him down. Like uh, most people used to think about Usman. And then you see on the feet, Burns has been knocking out some really impressive people. Burns gave Woodley a lot of trouble on the feet. And Usman, once he gets his rhythm, dominates Burns on the feet. Then you look at the rankings, and just off the top of my head, it's like you got Colby, great fight. I think Colby's the only one in that division who really stands a great chance. Apart from, apart from, I would like to see how Usman solves the chess battle of Wonderboy. I think that would be an interesting one. That distance management can give anyone trouble. But when you look at the division, I would say, obviously, he's a heavy favorite against most of the guys, barring Colby. And I just I just don't know how that Wonderboy matchup goes. I think Wonderboy can be anyone on his day. Have you seen the lines for a hypothetical fight between Usman and Chimaev? It's probably closer than it should be. It's ridiculously close. Um, it's on Skybet um, in the UK. And I believe... Chimaev is a plus 100 favorite, uh, sorry, a plus 100 underdog, which is just, uh, anyway, it's obscene. So that, that's, it's funny you say that because that's got me torn. You know, the one thing I said when I first watched Izzy fight, 
And when I had first, the first Khabib fight I had seen, I told myself, I was like, I'm going to bet on these guys. Um, and Khabib was later on in his career. I think at the point of like Edson Barbosa was, and that, that was when I decided with him. And then with Izzy, it was his very first fight. I said, I'm going to bet on these guys every single fight. And then yeah. I didn't do it. Yeah. Uh, Hamza, after watching his first two fights, I told you, I said, this is a guy I'm going to follow through with what I said. I'm going to bet on him every single fight against Usman. I could not bring myself to bet on him, especially at those odds. And, th- and then obviously this is a tiny bit off topic, but I just think it's hilarious. And I know we'll probably touch on it later is the fact that with Hamza getting out from it, he's out of his bout. Um, and like I said, we'll touch on this later. Leon Edwards is actually getting someone higher in the rankings. So is it a win for Leon Edwards? But I just thought it's a hilarious thing to touch yeah, on. Yeah, we have Hamzat at 14. I mm-hmm. could have sworn that he entered at 15 um, when he fought Mearshart. Now we have a main event. Muhammad, as he now calls himself, um, Bilal Muhammad against Leon Edwards and Muhammad at 13. But fair play to him. Like, I mean, there was no one else really. Well, I mean, we can't say that for certain. But I mean, you would think if someone else higher than Bilal Muhammad offered to fight Leon Edwards on that notice that we would have got that fight instead of Bilal Muhammad. I know of someone um, I watched, uh, listened to the Joe Rogan's podcast this past week. And he had Kevin Holland on there. It's great. Listen. And um, Kevin Holland said he was blowing up the UFC's DMS, blowing up Leon Edwards DMS. And he said he walks around at 193, and he said in two weeks, three weeks, he was like, I could get to 170. No problem. He was like, I cut eight pounds to get to 185. And that eight pounds is literally, I just eat the trifecta food that they give me. He's like, I don't do anything. He's like, I cut a little bit of water. He was like, but 170 is like what most guys have that have my body frame. They'd be down at 170. He was like, I could have taken that fight. No problem. And then turned around and fought Brunson as well, which that's the type of excitement I'd love to see. I like this, this Bilal Muhammad one. What gain does Leon Edwards have? Do you get a title shot after beating someone who just jumped into the rankings? And this is the thing, you know, it, it is literally, I was thinking about this yesterday and I, I couldn't decide what the best way to explain it was, but it's kind of like if you're building up to a big sort of, you know, heavyweight fight, like say Wilder Fury the first time around, then, you know, break down in negotiations and then you throw in, who was it, that, that German kid that he ended up fighting, uh, Fury, yeah, Schwartz. It's sort of like, you know, you just put in someone, to face him because I mean he can't just fight himself but it's sort of like just it it is the situation where Leon Edwards is just expected to go and showcase you know why he is where he is but Al Muhammad is not expected to trouble him and this is why as you say the fight is so dangerous because it isn't like you know the guys at heavyweight like Tyson Fury fighting you know some kid no one's heard of because I mean MMA is a whole different ball game Mm -hmm. and I mean Bilal Muhammad is no slouch. Like it's not yeah. the it's not the kind of fight that you want to be taking. I think um, when you have nothing to gain and everything to lose. So actually, you know, we say that, and I originally said that, but then if you look at the state of the welterweight division, does this win give him a title shot? I think it kind of has to, because I mean they're saying it's Jorge or Usman. If those negotiations break down, who else is going to get the title shot? No one else has fought. This is, this is what I can't understand. And I was looking at this um, maybe last week or the week before. So if we take the top five, obviously, outside of Kamara Usman, we have Covington, Burns, Edwards, Masvidal, Wonderboy Thompson. And I hope I'm correct with this. I did look at it last week or the week before, but I haven't checked since. Can you remember the last time two of those five fought against each other? Fought against each other? Yeah. 
of the top five. Uh, that was UFC 219, Cody Garbrandt and TJ Dillashaw with Mike Bisping and George St. Pierre. And that was Wonder Boy against Masvidal. Was it that recently? Was it 219? No, maybe I'm not right. You're right. It is Wonder Boy. It is Wonder Boy Masvidal. And it was, oh, it was a couple of years ago now. I like, uh, had to flex my knowledge there a little bit. <laughs> you were at uh, 217. November 4th, November 4th, right? Yeah, you're, you're 100%. Yeah, November 4th, 2017. UFC 217. You were right with the uh, the headliner. Um, Come but on. The, the number, the, the number was slightly, yeah, yeah, yeah. 217. So my whole thing about it is, and I suppose what you're touching on is correct, is you have those guys at the top of the division. We're all talking about who's Usman going to fight next. The problem is none of these guys have established themselves as the top guy, no matter what the number says, because none of them will fight each other. Right. Like, Agreed. think of the amount of good matchups. Like, Burns Covington is a cracking fight. You know, um, Wonder Boy v anyone is a great fight um yeah. but if you think about it who hasn't um Usman fought he, okay he didn't fight Leon Edwards in a championship fight but he still has a win over him mm-hmm. he's a win over Covington he's a win over Burns um he's a win I'm over Jorge him. the only guy in the top five he hasn't fought is Wonderboy and I mean you know people love Wonderboy um you know, I think maybe for a while he sort of was a people's champ after I can't remember which Woodley fight that people thought he won. Um, you couldn't say he's undeserving. The thing about Wonderboy is I'm just thinking about how unbelievably sidetracked we got there. <laughs> I can't even think what we were talking about. The thing about Wonderboy is they were trying to do him um, a little bit dirty in terms of they were treating him a little bit like Derek Brunson mm-hmm. where they were just feeding him these guys below him that no one really wanted to fight mm-hmm. because it was kind of like, okay, the hardcores know who Vicente Luque is and Jeff Neal. The casuals don't. So if they see someone like Wonderboy Thompson losing to Jeff Neal, it's not a good look for him. Even though we know how good Jeff Neal is, obviously mm-hmm. Wonderboy puts on the clinic against both of them. Um, now the only ways up, whether it's, you know, title fight. Obviously, Wonderboy is now sort of calling his shot at Usman. It makes sense um, as the only guy that's not fought him. It, it really does, especially because if you look at Wonderboy's, like, the reason he doesn't already have that title shot and he isn't already up there is because of the recent, like, slip-ups he had against Pettis and against Till. And if you look at both of those, a lot of people think that Wonderboy beat Till. And then if you look at the Pettis one, this, this fight, Pettis against Wonderboy, if they fight a hundred times, Anthony Pettis wins one. Yeah. Wonderboy was picking him apart, and Anthony Pettis landed a great shot. But you take out those two losses, and it's easier said than done. But that's your number one contender. Yeah. So then, then if he gets a matchup, and Masvidal's always said he wants to run it back with Wonderboy. If he gets a matchup in that top five, I think he's the next in line for the title. But I think the main question we got to answer here is the fact that if Leon Edwards just is active. In that top five, does that get you a title shot? I think so. Mm, yeah. Well, at the end of the day, you know, they can only he can only fight who they put in front of him. Obviously, they were trying to, well, what they would perceive to feed him to the to the Hamzat, um, whether that would have played out that way um, remains to be seen. And unfortunately, we'll not see that probably anytime soon. Mm-hmm. But as we say, you know, Jorge is just holding out um, for a shot. 
I don't think he's going to fight anyone else until he gets a shot because, you know, it's that whole narrative. Oh, I, I took your nose on six days, you know, or whatever it was. I'll, I'll take your head and a full car. I don't know. Something like that um, is what he was saying on Twitter. Um, which I mean, if you can talk yourself into the fight, I mean, who's going to blame you? Um, you know, he's a smart guy. There's a reason that he is who he is now. Like right. he's a, he's a big draw. Um, but as you say, I mean, you know, Leon, it's it's no secret that um, you know Leon and the UFC maybe haven't got on all that well recently, um, mm. and they removed him from the rankings. Basically, wasn't that because he didn't want to fight the Hamzat or something to do with that? And then he eventually agreed to the fight. Then they put him back in. I don't know. It feels like they're trying to oust him from the rankings. But I think I think and I I wouldn't say I'm a Masvidal fan, but I love the entertainment and like the hype that he brings to the sport so i think the person you have to point the finger to in this division as to why it is where it is is masvidal because he has beef with leon edwards you could have handled that he has an issue with colby covington you could have handled that and now he's not taking any of these fights so it's like if you're colby who do who do you fight you want the masvidal fight if you're leon who do you fight you want the masvidal fight he's the one if you're Wonder Boy, who do you fight? You want to fight Masvidal again? He need his activity would have given us a direct point to who the number one contender is, who deserves a title shot. But by him just sitting on the sidelines, and if he's going to walk in and get himself another title shot, great for him money wise, saving some damage. I guess you're taking as well. But if he would have stayed active, this division would have had such clear direction, which he doesn't have right now. It's crazy, you know, how much of a standstill this is at. Considering a lot of these guys, you know have fought quite recently you know obviously Gilbert just off the fight with Usman um, you know Wonder Boys fought quite a lot recently I feel you know when was that Neil fight in like December um, yeah. and then when did Colby fight um, was Woodley um, was that maybe last May yeah that's kind of the frequency Colby's been having though so I don't know it's, 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 it is a strange one and you know and it's one of those things as well. Well, maybe they haven't been fighting as much as I initially thought, but we're at this sort of standstill where guys have been out for so long that they would be looking to fight. I'm just like, why? Why are right. we not fighting each other? Um, right. The next thing I, I wanted to sort of, uh, you know, now that we're on the topic of welterweight, was was this falling through of the Hamzat v Leon a blessing in disguise? for the UFC in terms of, you know, they're trying to build up their next golden boy. Um, and, you know, they've been trying to build up their next golden boy for a while, like the face of the company, the next Connor, um, the next Khabib, mm-hmm. you know, sort of their, their go-tos for a while. You know, they, they thought about Till. Um, they sort of rushed them a bit then. I think they were on the O'Malley train for a while. Um, obviously that sort of hasn't, gone too well with the mm-hmm. Cheeto fight and then he's going to come back against Almeida um, you know is, is this sort of the, the time where Dana steps back and goes you know what actually now that we have the chance because what, what was going to happen was he was going to fight Leon and then he was going to have to fight Usman if he beat Leon you know in like the summer like that's how that's how quick it was going to be whereas now we're ranked 14 you know we can fight mm-hmm. you know Li Jing Liang Jeff Neal, I think Jeff Neal probably is a, is a 
good matchup for the Hamzat. You know, we can build ourselves up now. Or maybe, what do you think? I think I think Jeff Neal is a scary matchup for anyone, just because sure you can grapple with him, but he's a strong. He has a strong base. He's a strong man. I don't think you're going to take him down as easy as people would think. And also, I I mean, off the top of my head, I don't I don't remember a time he's been taken down, Jeff Neal. And obviously, most of his fights have been standing. But I think he's one of the people that that win that Wonder Boy had on him was very impressive. I think there's many more people in that uh, in that 10 range. Damian Maya, line him up with um, with Hamzat. I think that's a better fight. I think you keep the Neil train going. Hamzat, you give him a name, right? Like if he beats Jeff Neal, the UFC are clearly trying to build Hamzat. If you beat Jeff Neal, are you any – like sure, you go from 14 to what, eight in the rankings? But did you gain any popularity? Did you Do any people know more? That will be a good one. Here we go. So, sorry, just for those listening on Spotify, just as we have been discussing, um, Robert Whitaker v. Paulo Costa has just been announced. Maybe we'll we'll maybe discuss that um, a little bit later on. Um, but you know, I remember what you said when we when we discussed this maybe around December. You said that Maya, because remember we had the double booking with the Hamza. Maya right. then would have seen the Gerald Mearshart fight and gone, I want no part of that. You know, right. especially after you've just been knocked out so viciously by Gilbert Burns. Um, you know, so m- maybe that's not that feasible. And then if you sort of look, well, obviously Neil, Neil, Magny. Mag- Neil Magny wants to fight him. Yeah, I remember that now. Um, but the rankings are so strange. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. In terms of, if we look at, I have it up here, seven, eight, we have Woodley Maya, you know, I think for the Hamzat, they are easier fights than, well, obviously we know where Woodley is at now in his career, uh, and Damian Maya. I think they're easier fights than the likes of Neil Magny. Luke is tough for anyone. We saw what Li Jing Liang did to Ponzinibbio. Um, you know, it just seems, I don't know, but you can never trust the, um, you can never trust the UFC rankings. Right, right. You know, I, I, I think, I think, like you said, whether it's a blessing or disguise or not, we can't really know because we don't really know what he is ready for. He, he might be the next to be, but I think from a fan standpoint, I think it's a little more refreshing for us that this guy off two fights, this guy off his performances in a month span jumps in essentially apart from the Gerald Mercer fight jumps in and he's getting the third ranked guy. Who's on a what seven fight win streak in the UFC. You know, I think, I think it's much more refreshing to see this like slow down and we're saying slow down. We don't know what's booked for him next. You know, <laughs> next thing, you know, Kevin Holland gets a win. Kevin Holland jumps up to top five in the middleweight rankings. And then they're going to give Hamzat Kevin Holland. You, you never know. So we don't know if they are slowing him down, but I think as far as him fighting Leon Edwards, I think, yeah, it's probably, it's probably a good thing that we don't, we don't really need to see that. Cause what were we going to see? You know, like what, what was exciting about that matchup? Yeah, and I sort of feel like, you know, when you put it all side by side and you look at 2020, no matter what way you look at it, Kevin Holland and the Hamzat, despite being in two different weight divisions, currently, I know obviously Hamzat wants to sort of rule across 70 and 85. They are on a collision course, um, Mm -hmm. you know, if they keep going the way they're going. It's an exciting time, definitely for the two of them. they, They bring something different, I think, to the sport where sort of, you know, people stop and they take notice, especially you know, the way Holland looked against uh, Jacques Array. Mm-hmm. There is just something, you know, and maybe people talk about the caliber of opponent or sort of where they are in the career. I think you can't really take anything away from that. 
um, there was something special about that. Um, when people thought Jackery posed something a little different to the the Holland puzzle, um, we maybe haven't seen that kind of you know opposition to the Hamzat where you're not quite fighting a top you know a guy at the top of his game, but you know still could pose him some problems. We haven't really seen that yet. You know, a, a Jackery equivalent is what I'm alluding to for the Hamzat. Um, and I sort of feel like that Usman fight was uh, maybe a step too far, but there are some uh, exciting matchups and we'll see what uh, Chmaev does in the remainder of 2021. Um, would you like, Billy, to, I know we discussed, we might touch upon maybe a, a few predictions or a little bit of a breakdown of UFC 259, which is next Saturday, the 6th of March. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to start by... Let's go ahead and on with this next card, if you're willing to, with this next card coming up tomorrow. Um, oh, later the roses, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Roses right I, I'd like to, I'd like to start maybe a, a trend that this, uh, this could end up making us look absolutely foolish, or absolute geniuses. I want, it, I want you to give me a 45 second. Tell me what's going to happen in that main event. You've really put me on the spot there. Absolutely, and I'll start. I'll start. Okay, you. If you're going to offer it, be my guest, please. So, 45 seconds, really quick. Start the timer. Um, basically, we're going to see an emergence of either a new heavyweight superstar, or we're going to see the guy that people kind of start ruling out offer one performance against a uh, favorable, a good opponent. Him coming back and showing that he's still the man. I think more likely than not, we're going to have our eyes open to Cyril Gane. I think he's going to show his complete arsenal of what he's capable of. I think Rosenstreich, when he got outfought by Alistair Overeem, apart from the last 45 seconds of that fight, I think there was a lot of holes there. I think Cyril Gane is going to show that he can really give a lot of those guys in the heavyweight division trouble. And I would like to point out some more things for Rosenstreich, but you know what? This is going to be a hot take, so I'm, I'm locking in the fact that Cyril Gane is the future of the UFC heavyweight division. <laughs> well, I like your um, the conciseness of, uh, of that breakdown. Mm-hmm. For me, this isn't all that easy, despite what the odds say. So, I mean, Gan opened as a three-to-one favorite. And, like, the easy oh. pick the, the easy pick here is Gan. But there's something that just, you know, is just sort of speaking to me almost about Rosenstrike. And, I mean, as you say, you know... What you have here is a guy coming off a loss. Uh, sorry, he's not coming off a loss. He beat JDS. JDS yeah. So, you know, but I think maybe what resonates more with people or they think or they remember more vividly is the sort of the eerie um, defeat to Nganu. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I mean eerie, you know, it was very early into the, uh, the Apex pandemic series, no crowd and just sort of the violence of what we saw and like the silence, it was, it was almost bizarre. Um, this is closer, I think, than uh, the odds suggest. Now we have Gan in the range of sort of minus 250. Um, my reservation sort of with both of them is sort of the caliber of guys that they've beaten in terms of where they are in the career. And this is something that I think maybe you alluded to when you said, maybe a week or two ago that you wanted to speak about the, the state of the heavyweight division. Whereas if we look at, you know, who Rosenstreich has fought to get to where he was, um, you know, Arlovsky, the, the only guy that I can say, and I could be wrong, um, that I believe that he has beaten that is still sort of there, thereabouts is Alistair Overeem. Mm-hmm. 
And I do believe, obviously, you know, the Ream did not have his best showing against um, Volkov. But before the Volkov fight, he did look, I thought, pretty good. Like, he looked relatively vintage, as vintage as you can look at 40-something years. I don't know. I saw a shake of the head there. <laughs> yeah, I think I think his record was being padded from questionable performances and, like, scraping out his decisions. I, I was never too impressed with what he had been putting on recently. But, yeah, to, to put you on the spot here a little bit. Um, so, if you have to say what, after this weekend – what the headline is of that main event. We'll go ahead. 45 seconds. Tell me what the headline of that main event is. What I can see happening is I can see Gan asserting the pace. And I mean, when you look at his sort of physique and stuff, he, you know, you can just see it. Like, I mean, it's just, it is, it, you know, it's almost meant to be that Gan is one of the next guys. So in terms of what I think is going to happen, Round one, I think, all Cyril Gann. If Rosenstreich can see the end of it and hasn't sort of exerted himself too much, I think it could get interesting. But, you know, like, have we seen a lot of, of, of Gann maybe towards the middle or later rounds? I think, I think if, if I have to summarize, I think what you're going to see is the completeness of Gann, which doesn't happen a lot in heavyweight division. A lot of the guys you have at the top of the leaderboard in the heavyweight division are the Rosen strikes. The, oh, if he's going to win, it's just going to be he kind of swings and prays like he did against Overeem, like he did against JDS, like he's done against several people. Not to say he's not a very technical striker, which he is, but I think he has that overwhelming power that that's what you're going to see in most of the guys in the top of the division. I think Sirogan is new because Sirogan has levels levels he's got striking but he's got grappling he's got a lot of things that the heavyweight division talent wise doesn't usually see so i think that's what the highlight of the weekend is going to be the fact that sirogan brings a potential complete package to the heavyweight division so while you were speaking there because obviously you know you, you've sent it over to me once or twice there and i've just spoken round in circles trying to sort of convince myself <laughs> what i think is going to happen it's it came to me there while you were were speaking my headline on Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon uh, will be Rosenstroke outlasts tough Cyril Gann. I just, I've seen more in terms of, I think, durability. Obviously, I'm just mainly thinking of the Overeem fight um, where Overeem was winning that fight, I believe, and then Rosenstroke lands that, that lip splitter um, late into the fifth round. Honestly, I... Wouldn't be surprised at all if Gan just comes across the cage and starts him. It's just one of those things where almost I want to be because you're so confident Gan's going to win. I almost want to be on the other side. And if well, I'm, I'm not even so confident. I'm just I'm giving I'm giving I'm giving my chance out there, and I'm I like I want to look foolish if I'm wrong, and I want to look like a genius if I'm right. So I, I'm I'm leaving no question to it as I, as I'm stating. Sirogan is going to show his wide variety of class that the rest of the heavyweight division does not have to the extent of talent and like width of what he, the way he can attack you.